In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sorry, we have no children. So there are three men who married wives from three different states. The first man married a woman from Michigan. And he told her that she was to do the dishes and the house cleaning. And it took a couple of days, but on the third day, he came home to see a clean house, dishes washed and put away nicely. Second man married a woman from Arizona. He gave his wife orders that she was to do all the cleaning, the dishes, and the cooking. Well, the first day, he didn't see any results, but the next day, he saw that it was better. By the third day, he saw his house was clean, the dishes were done. There was a huge dinner on the table. The third man married a woman from Texas. He ordered her to keep the house clean, the dishes washed, the lawn mowed, the laundry washed, hot meals on the table at every meal. He said the first day he didn't see anything. The second day he didn't see anything, but by the third day the swelling began to go down on his left eye <laughs> and his arm was healed enough to where he could fix himself a sandwich and load the dishwasher. <laughs> Y'all must be from Texas. Some of you may remember the old story that preachers used to tell about a little boy who was hanging around for his father one day while his father was trying to read a magazine and the father decided to occupy the little boy's time by tearing a page out of the magazine then cutting it into pieces. Then he had the little boy try to place the pieces all back together. Now he thought this would occupy the boy for quite a while, but he was wrong because in a short time the boy had the page all reassembled. And his dad asked how he had done it so quickly and the little boy replied that it was easy because there was a picture of the, a man on the other side and he said, when I got the man right, everything else came together. It's an old story, but it's an important story, especially when we come to the Gospel of St. John. The author of St. John's Gospel had seen the picture on the other side of the piece of paper, and it was a picture of Jesus. Life is no longer a random, meaningless jumble of pieces anymore. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the Gospel of John, pure and simple. John opens his Gospel with this declaration about Jesus, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. And then two chapters later, he records Jesus' encounter with an elderly Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. When Nicodemus is slow to comprehend how he, an old man, can experience a second birth, how he can be born again, Jesus blows him away with this promise for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
John had seen the big picture and he couldn't stop talking about it. He has found the key to life. And if you want to know the, pers- the purpose of life, John says, look at Jesus. In today's gospel reading, John is writing about a time in Jesus' ministry when the crowds are starting to fade away. Jesus' teachings, it seems, are becoming too difficult to understand or to follow. They challenge too many preconceived notions about faith and about the meaning of life. His ministry, which had once seemed so promising, now seems to be in trouble. But Jesus understood what was happening. And so he turns to the 12 disciples who had been with him from the very beginning. And he asks them, do you also wish to leave? It was Simon Peter who answered with one of the most beautiful statements in all of scripture. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Simon Peter knew, and as did John, that Jesus is the picture on the other side of the paper. He is the key to the puzzle of life. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 300 years later, a small boat makes its way across the the angry waters of the Mediterranean Sea, and on board was a Christian woman by the name of Monica. Tossed about by the waves, the experienced crew, they seek to calm the fear of the passengers. But Monica, she needs no such reassurance. In fact, it is she who calmly promises the troubled sailors that everything's going to be okay. Monica had a son named Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to say it who faced his own stormy seas in life. At his home in Italy, as he was waiting for his mother's arrival from Africa, Augustine found himself to be in a dangerous state of depression, as he himself says in his own books, in his own writings. Augustine was born in the year 354 in a Roman province of North Africa. His father was a Roman pagan. His mother was a devout Christian, his mother, Monica. Augustine was an avid reader and a lifelong student. He pored over the various philosophies and teachings of his day in a vain attempt to understand good and evil, sin and virtue, heaven and hell. And believe me, he he experimented with each and every philosophy in searching for meaning in his life. In his own words, as a youth, he ran wild in the shadowy jungle of erotic adventure. Augustine had been raised in the church, but he found the old Latin version of the Bible to be uninviting. One day, his mother, Monica, introduced him to the teachings of Ambrose, a Christian bishop whom he grew to deeply respect. In the summer of 386, Augustine was in the garden waging this spiritual debate within himself. He felt so trapped by the sins of his past that he broke down in tears. 
It was then that he heard this voice of a child chanting, pick up and read, pick up and read. He felt this to be the voice of God. And so he found his Bible, he randomly opened it, and he began to read Romans chapter 13, which read, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, which by the way, describe, describes Augustine's life to a T. Romans continues, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Augustine would write later of his conversion, I neither wished nor needed to read any further. At once, with the last words of this sentence, it was as if a light of relief from all anxiety flooded into my heart. All the shadows of doubt were dispelled. The following Easter, Augustine was baptized. His mother, Monica, she lived to see her son's conversion. She died a few years later. Her prayers, constant, continual prayers were answered. Augustine embraced Christ with such a passion that he, eventually he was ordained, later became a bishop, and his writings have had an enormous impact on Western thought. Augustine discovered what John and Simon Peter had discovered the key to the puzzle of life is Jesus Christ. 1,700 years later, a missionary who spent much time in the Philippines speaks about a time back in 1986 when he was showing a film and preaching one night he said he remembers weeping over the millions of babies being aborted in America, and he prayed, God, if you give me a son, I will raise him to be a preacher. Not long after, Bob and his wife, Pam, conceived their fifth child. It happened to be a very difficult pregnancy because early on, Pam had contracted amoebic dysentery, which briefly had put her into a coma. Her doctor, who was fearful that medications they had given her had damaged the fetus, advised her to abort the baby. She refused. And on August 14, 1987, Pam delivered a healthy, if somewhat scrawny, Timothy Richard Tebow. His father recalls how all his life from the moment he could understand, had told him, you are a miracle baby. God's got a purpose for you. And at some point, I think he's going to call you to preach. Some of you probably recognize the name Tim Tebow. He was the quarterback for the Florida Gators, was the first college football player to both rush and pass for 20 touchdowns in a single season, was the first sophomore to win the Heisman Trophy. But what you might not know about Tim Tebow is that he is an exceptional Christian role model in today's church. Tim Tebow loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And as one, teamer, as one team member described it, because of Tebow's phenomenal influence, uh, 
The Florida team had launched a series of community service initiatives to the point where the players devoted off-the-chart hours to charitable causes. But the thing that really stands out is the fact that Tebow, who said it was one of his favorite things to do, went and visited hundreds and hundreds of inmates within Florida's state prison system. Tebow was spending time with guys who had no hope, guys who had no support, and who had been totally written off by the world. Each prison program began with prayers and the singing of gospel music, but the highlight of the night was the 25-minute oration by Tebow, who stressed to the inmates the importance of finishing strong and concluded with an invitation for the prisoners to come down from the bleachers to be his brother in Christ and to be born again. The emphasis on finishing strong certainly applies to football, but more importantly, he tells them it applies to life. He said, a lot of you started the first and the second and the third quarter really bad. The room falls silent. He says, you might be losing, but you know what? It doesn't matter because it's about how you finish. And when the cheering fades, Tebow shares with the inmates the fact that when he was a young boy, he cared more about sports than he did about his Savior. He said, I told myself, I don't need Jesus. I was full of pride. It was all about me. And then he makes it clear that if he himself could see the light, then they too could see the light. Tim Tebow had discovered what John and Simon Peter and Augustine had discovered. The key to the puzzle of life is Jesus Christ. Millions of people of every walk of life have discovered this truth. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This belief is why we are gathered here in worship this morning we haven't come here this morning just because it's our tradition. We haven't come just to see our friends. We haven't come just to have fellowship, even though all these things are important. But if any of these things are the one critical reason that you're here today, you're probably not going to have a truly uplifting, spiritual, godly experience. Such reasons for coming to worship, in G.K. Chesterton's words, Reveal that our religion is more a theory than a love affair. I hope you're here today because you have a love affair with the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're here today because you found that Jesus Christ has the words of eternal life. I hope you're here today to meet Jesus, to listen to his words for your life. I hope you find what John and Simon Peter and Augustine and Tim Tebow found, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe, we know that you are the Holy One of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.